0: When it comes to encouraging an innovation-friendly organizational culture in your development agency, is it easier to do this in a flat and non-hierarchical organization? I don't know the answer to this for sure, but I do ask myself the question, how to encourage innovation in a large and pretty hierarchical organization like the UN? Who better to ask than Sorn Vester Haldrup, Innovation Fund Manager at UNDP? Sorn speaks from a place of experience when it comes to what matters when laying the groundwork for an innovation-welcoming climate, as well as how to do it. Have a listen. Hello, and welcome to NGO Soul & Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye. My name is Tosca Bruno van Vijveiken, and I'm the founder and principal consultant at Five Oaks Consulting. I have over three decades of experience helping leaders in civil society manage change, invest in cutting-edge leadership development, lead organizational culture change, and strengthen effectiveness. I'm also a thought leader on these issues, including as co-author of the book Between Power and Irrelevance, the Future of Transnational NGOs, which is read by civil society leaders across the globe. If you are such a leader and want to look change right in the eye, this podcast is for you. Hello listeners this is NGO Soul and Strategy and as you know I am fond of learning more about innovation how can we spur a more innovation friendly client climate in both nonprofits and NGOs and in other forms of public sector organization and I've been intrigued by this um, this topic by innovation readiness for a long time. And we have had several innovation coaches, leaders who have aimed to create innovation-friendly um, climates in their NGOs and public organizations, etc., on this podcast before. And one commonly held belief I find is that innovation is harder to achieve in large, highly bureaucratic and hierarchical organizations. But is that the case? Are there extra challenges in those cases, or are there instead also extra opportunities and assets in these scenarios that we can put to work? Who better to ask than somebody who is an innovation specialist at UNDP, the United Nations Development Programme, a large development-focused agency within the United Nations? So in comes Soren Vester-Haldrop. Who is happy? who I am happy to interview for the podcast. Welcome, Soren.
1: Thank you. Happy to be on the podcast.
0: I'm psyched to see what you are going to share with us. So um, Soren is currently an innovation specialist and fund manager at UniP, and we'll have to hear a little bit from you about the fund. Um, that That is part of your role. He is also a board member at Global Integrity. He was a senior consultant at Oxford Policy Management, as well as before he, um, he was also at UNDP as a policy analyst and has had additional roles. But today I want to interview Soren about how he and those who are with him on this in UNDP, how they try to spur innovation. So Soren. In the first place, how did you get into this field of innovation within the UN system? Was that something random or was it very targeted?
1: I sort of stumbled into it. Um, I rejoined UNDP a few years ago um, in a role as innovation specialist and and project manager or manager for this um, innovation facility in, in UNDP. I had done a bit of work on innovation before, so mainly on the more techie side, uh, but not a lot. Um, And I joined the organization at a really interesting time where the way that UNDP has shifted its approach to to innovation has has been really interesting. and, And I joined at a time where we were sort of transitioning from doing a lot of small scale experiments Mm -hmm. Uh, what we call single-point solutions, interesting fixes where you can use innovation, whether that's technology or behavioral insights, to to do something new. Transitioning from that towards looking at how we can radically rethink how we understand and tackle really complex problems. Mm -hmm. So moving the focus of innovation from these smaller-scale experiments towards supporting systems transformation. Mm. And that's what I've been doing here, um, working on with my colleagues the last
0: couple of years. Okay, so we're going to. That's that's really important that you said that right away. And as I um, told you, Soren, before, I'm not really. um, I don't have a lot of uh, expertise on systems work. We all know it's highly um, sought in the development sector. Lots of people talk about it. Sometimes I get a little skeptical about. It sounds very intellectual. It sounds very grand. And I'm thinking, can we really as human beings, even um, neuro-wise, can we even grapple with that, let alone do something practical? But you're going to tell us about uh, that. But that's a really important introduction. Um, Why don't you Tell us a little bit more about that shift, why Unip made that shift from focusing on small-scale innovations to the aspiration to really seek innovation at a much bigger scale, at a systems scale. And explain to our listeners, so that we're all on the same page, what do you mean by systems scale changes and innovation?
1: I'll certainly try. Um, It is, I completely agree with you, a you know, a a field or an area of work that also have often had a lot of jargon. There's a lot of, yes. you know, difficult language, and it's, yes. you know, hard to figure out. You know, Abstract. what does it actually look like in practice? Yeah. Um, so let me let me have a shot at it. Um, the rationale for making the shift was, you know, basically that the world is facing some really thorny, complex problems that we aren't necessarily making a lot of progress on and that requires bigger shifts um, in how we work and and how the world works than than more incremental type of of work and and traditional very linear project-based modes of of sort of affecting change. When it comes to innovation, innovation tends to often be driven a lot by particular interesting solutions where you go out and, and look for a problem and Mm-hmm. innovation in the more traditional sense might not necessarily help you tackle really complex problems because it might be focused on a particular type of fix that's focused on a specific kind of soft problem. So there was this realization that incremental small-scale I- innovation is important, but it isn't necessarily helping us figure out how to understand to tackle really thorny complex problems, a different way of thinking about innovation is is needed there. For instance, um, more traditional, often design thinking, Silicon Valley-based m- ways of approaching innovation is this idea of a funnel. You begin to do many different things. Yeah. You fail fast. You get rid of the things that don't work, and then you end up with this one thing that you... There's one solution that you scale, and that becomes the new iPhone or, or what have you. Yeah. That can be a good way of doing innovation for certain types of problems, but it isn't necessarily helpful if you work on complex problems where it's not just one solution you find and scale. You need to do many different things that you iterate, adapt over time as you learn and in combination, maybe these many different things contribute to to some sort of change So it's a different logic of thinking about um, how we work and and how we support
0: change. So this is about what some people, for instance, academia call wicked issues, issues that are multifaceted, highly complex and, and interdependent and where you need a multitude of actors to collectively in some with some synchronization of intervention and measuring whether something is actually being shifted we need to engage with a very big issue, like let's say certain types of very uh, tenacious forms of poverty or climate change and many other things like that. Is that what we should exactly?
1: Um, exactly, you 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 said it perfectly. Um, yeah.
0: Okay, okay. So apart, f- what I'd like to do in this conversation is is stay focused on the. How to nurture innovation in organizations, right? Because that's that's the um, the podcast is 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 focused on the organization as the unit of analysis, uh, just as my work is. So let's start with a big question right away. How does one go about innovation in large bureaucratic organizations such as the UN? Because so often, you know, in daily parlance, we think, oh, we need to be flat organizations and very unhierarchical.
1: It's a good question, um, and I'm not sure I have the the perfect answer for it. We, we're definitely still learning a lot. Um, I think the, the first aspect of this is to recognize that it is not easy. Um, big, large, bureaucratic organizations uh, take a long time to to change, and, and there's a lot of inertia. Um, I think a useful starting point is also to think about many different efforts being needed to to support some sort of change and so you need to to be able to sort of you know on different tangents and in a way in on on the piano I think first of all beginning to have a conversation about why is the status quo or the current way of doing business not necessarily useful why is it not working nurture this realization and, and interest in doing something different
0: so that's the urge, what what some change managers call the urgency, uh, seeking a shared urgency uh, to, for change.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, being able to link that up to also bigger existential questions is is important. Like if we are to remain relevant as an organization and to be continue to be able to support low and middle income countries and in fragile states around the world and tackling these big, challenges that they're facing, we need to do things differently. Um, another aspect I, I think is very important, I guess, in any context, but not least in big, large organizations, is to have uh, support and buy-in from the top, from the leadership in mm-hmm. the organization, uh, but also to 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 nurture and bring up all the, the interest and change that, that is happening uh, in the grassroots levels. UNDP, for instance, is a global organization. It's quite federalized. There are many different country offices around the world. So you, yeah. you need to play at these different um, sort of parts of the piano, both uh, the leadership, top level strategy, uh, people that work out in country offices and leadership in that place and, and everything in between. What we try to do and, and what seems to be working is to begin to identify certain pockets where we can. Try things out to showcase how a different way of working is possible for the rest of the organization.
0: You you, you use the word pockets,
1: yeah, uh, pockets or, or you know, there's the literature around islands of of change or islands of effectiveness or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it is useful to think through how can we begin to identify certain areas where there is interest, where there are some 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 leaders in the country office or or middle-level managers that are interested in change, where there are some of the capabilities that are needed, to begin to support those pockets, use those as what we call deep demonstrations uh, to showcase to the rest of the organisation that there is a different way of working, a different way of working is possible, Mm -hmm. but also to learn from that experience about all the internal organizational bottlenecks and, and software structures and, and project management systems and whatnot that might be preventing sort of a shift. Yeah. And to use these demonstrations to, to showcase to the rest of the organization, to build the capabilities in these pockets of beginning to, to scale or expand that. And lastly, to have conversations with people and organizations outside of Unity. That we accountable to that we work with that fund us to begin to to nurture that external demand for a different way of working ah. so that you can you can point to that and say you know we we want to be able to respond to this demand, and by doing these things differently we are able to respond to that demand.
0: you're you're overtly as one of your strands provoking that demand from peers from um primary constituents and from funders yes and is this an approach that you found has so far has some legs um, um you know you you read a lot about that the the either that scaling up of innovations almost never really work happens right what it works is a second question but it doesn't really happen and and so in other words, it's not linear and it's not obvious that even once a good innovation has been, you know, iterated, tested, validated, etc., that doesn't mean that there is a breakthrough to much greater scale, right? Is that something that you have observations on in the UNIP as a system?
1: Yes, and I, I think coming back to a point I made earlier, around we we are not trying to think of it as particular things particular innovations that we scale we we try to think we actually try to avoid the 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 phrase or the word scale but to think about you know ripples of change or transformation other ways of 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 doing it but but i think you know some some people when they talk about scale talk about how you design for scale to begin with uh, rather than designing some small level intervention and then you try to find out how can it scale later on. I think you need to think about the bigger change to begin with. Um, and I think scaling sometimes suggests this idea of one thing that you just do more of or you just expand. And yeah. I think at least our experience when it comes to supporting change in a very big organization is that it's not just one solution you you develop and scale. It's 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 many different things that you try to do to for, for these things in combination to hopefully right. contribute to a shift in, in the organization.
0: Interesting. So it's, it's only, yeah. In, and the, uh, in, it's only interaction amongst a number. And that is that systems perspective kind of, I'm, I'm just kind of trying a thought out here. Yeah. So, so you say it's not easy, obviously, but um, how many years of experience does UNP have in this New way of seeking innovation, and can you point us to a concrete example of something that where you do think this approach has proven to work so far?
1: Yeah, so Unip made the shift in its approach to innovation, talk, beginning to talk about strategic innovation rather than more sort of tactical level um, incremental innovation. Mm-hmm. Made the shift in 2019, um, so right before COVID hit, and I think. COVID definitely helped sort of strengthen the sense of, of urgency and a need for, for, for us to rethink how how we work as an organization. Mm-hmm. So we've been been at this for a few for a few years, where we are practically working, supporting different um, so-called country offices, UNDP country offices in different countries to help them figure out how to begin to work in these new ways to adopt system thinking design portfolios. And we are then using those experiences, those deep demonstrations to as sort of leverage points for, for change in the wider organization. A practical example of this, um, there are a few where really interesting progress has been made. Um, we have a medium site or medium blog where we uh, blog about these types of Experiences, and people can sort of look at that for, for more in-depth examples. But I think one yeah. example at a country level is um, our colleagues in Serbian, UNDP in Serbia, that began to rethink uh, the issue of depopulation that the country is facing away from just being a question of people need to have more babies and that's how you, you solve it Toward beginning to work with the government to reinvision how do we tackle this issue of or decopulation in a much more holistic way. Um, and I think that has, has lent, led to some interesting changes. Um, as an organization wide level, I think an interesting aspect of or evidence of this type of shift is is also UAP's new strategic plan, uh, which came out in, in January this year, which has quite a strong focus on working with the deep structural systemic aspects of of development and and tackling those deep thorny issues Um, and doing that using, you know, these systems approaches. We talk about portfolio approaches where you try to tackle the issue through, you know, a variety of interventions that are synergetic, that learn from each other, that you adapt over time rather than standalone projects. Um, And I think the the shift in in the narrative and focus in, in the strategic plan, I think, is again an, an example of how these things are um, resonate with people and, and how it seems to be, at least for now, something the organization is, is interested in, in pursuing.
0: Mm, interesting. So in general, in your experience, does organizational size as well as structure matter when it comes to creating a good climate for innovation or not necessarily? I think it
1: definitely matters. I, I think it, you can probably find, find climates that are conducive for or not conducive for innovation in small and big organizations. Uh, I think large organizations um, definitely present certain challenges uh, simply by you know, having more people. There are probably more divisions or teams or you spread across countries and, and what have you. And I, yeah. I think um, size definitely makes a, a difference in that connection that pulls to some particular challenges. Um, I think there is also, a, at least specifically for UNDP, an aspect of, of how centralized or decentralized an organization is. You can have big organizations that might have very flat organizational structure or, or big organizations that have a much more centralized one. And, and yeah. UNDP has is quite decentralized or federalized in the sense that at different country offices, in different country offices, there are you know they have a lot of autonomy to to pursue you know the their work because undp is its mandate is to support governments and and communities in these countries for to develop so you know whatever the priorities are in that country is is something that you know the the country office will then work on and that means a lot of different ways of working a lot of different focus areas and and a lot of autonomy um and, and that definitely presents um some some challenges as well as opportunities um for for innovating on the challenge side is is of course that you know you can't just tell everyone what to do or the 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 center or the the head of the organization doesn't necessarily have you know the ability to just direct everything you do have a lot of autonomy but i think on the on the opportunity side it means that there are these many different pockets where you can begin to experiment um, like microcosms in a way we can begin to try to do things differently and learn about what works and doesn't when it comes to the shift towards portfolios and systems approaches and point to these experiences and use those as leverage points for the rest of the organization. So I think, you know, there are opportunities um, as well as as challenges.
0: Let me try the thought. Um, Human inertia, is it... Uh, there's no link between greater human inertia and large, at least bureaucratic organization, whether they are decentralized or centralized. Uh, Is human inertia more kind of either provoked or, or triggered or more condoned in large organizations like the UN compared to small ones? We always have this idea that small is nimble and agile and so on. How, how does human inertia get impacted, you think, if at all? I'm just trying out a thought example. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a really good question. I I think my, you know, off the cuff, I, I assume and I think that there might be a lot more inertia in big organizations simply because, first of all, big organizations might have been around for longer. So you have more of these, you know, Built in ways of working and narratives yep. and, and culture and, and small organizations might not have been around for as long. It's not necessarily the case, but I think there's an aspect of that. I think a different aspect is also just the 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 number of people and parts of, of an organization that you need to to convince and, and support and change and, and enable is just you know bigger, larger. Uh, in in big organizations, even
0: if they are heavily decentralized, as UNDP is, you tell us. So even then, you still the number of people that you need to get on your side, formally or informally, get approval from blah blah blah, is still more extensive. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, and I would also. Well, I guess the flip side might, might be that, you know, in, in small groups and small organizations, you might also be very vulnerable to grouping. Like you might be all be on the same page and then you just kind of keep doing things in that way. And, and there isn't necessarily a lot of scope for someone to sort of raise their hand and say, let's yeah. try to do something differently. Yeah. Whereas if you have a big organization, there might be a lot more opportunities for like pockets to begin to sort of do things differently because they do have more autonomy. Um, and I think that's, you know, that that might be a, you know, sort of a side of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I learned a whole lot of things from an innovation coach, uh, Shervin Fickery, who works in Board of Innovation, uh, which is primarily innovation coaching and innovation strategy support um, rendering for private sector organizations. But Shervin has worked in the UN and in a few nonprofits as well. And so one of the leadership mindsets that in a separate podcast uh, that we can link to in the show notes, um, he told me about is that he sees in public um, and UN and nonprofit organizations quite often a leadership mindset that he characterizes as an overconfidence of leaders' ability to project into the future. Um, and a difficulty in staying focused on the desirability and the viability of a, of an innovation, not getting bogged down too early in feasibility and um, compliance issues. Can you respond to that? And after that, I'll, I'll throw a couple more of these kind of variables because I'm curious what you, mm. how they play out in the UN for you.
1: I think first first of all on leadership, I, I as I said earlier on, I think leadership is really key to you know carve out the space for, for this, you know, way of working to provide a vision to shelter people that are trying to to innovate and, and you know kind of encourage risk taking and all of these things. But I also think you know, a a something we, we're working with is is humility and 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 uncertainty. Like you need to be humble in the context of you know, rapid change. You don't necessarily know how to solve these really big complex problems. There's a lot of change, not least uh, in these times. And you need to approach this also as a leader with humility. And it's a different way of, you know, it might be uncomfortable to certain leaders that feel that they need to know it all yeah. and, and, um, you know, need to provide you when it sort of espouses this, this, you know, aura of you know, I'm in charge. I know what's going on. I have a plan and and recognizing that, you know, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen. We don't necessarily have a plan, but we have a plan for how we're going to learn and adapt and continue to kind of kind of move closer and closer to, to achieve the things that we want to achieve. And I think that that presents some challenges for, for, for certain leaders. And I think it's, you know, it's a different set of capabilities that, that, at least certain types of leaders in certain types of sectors, or organizations
0: might Some not necessarily be be
1: trained in. Yeah.
0: Would you say also in certain types of cultures, that absolutely that humility and as well as uh, not feeling that you have to know it all and um, being comfortable with uncertainty, which is hard psychologically for every body, um, but is particularly is harder than in some other cultures. Do you see that? Because the UN is a global organization. Hmm. UNDP is so do you see that? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, I, I think within any particular country, where it's whether that's the US or or, or Tanzania or what have you, I, I think there are, you know, different organizations can have different organizational cultures. There could be certain sort of you know ideals about what leadership is and, and whatnot. But, you know, different cultures might also have more hierarchical or kind of organisational structures and, and ways of working and ideals of, of what ways of thinking. You know, leadership is. Certain bureaucracies, you know, in certain countries, are also much more um, hierarchical information kind of, you know, orders flow down and information kind of doesn't necessarily flow, flow up. So, it, you know, right. you, there are definitely many different, so this looks very different in different types of countries, but also just in different types of organizations and, True. and sectors.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: I think an aspect of, of this is probably also you, it, things around, you know, definitely power, around gender and so on, like other certain like norms, masculine norms for like this list, like CEO management guy that knows all of it and, and just, you know, sets a direction and always have, have an answer versus something that's, that's, you know, maybe not as as sort of this alpha and macho type leader.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you also manage a fund that is, you indicated early in the interview is an innovation promoting fund. Tell us a little bit more about it. And then, then particularly I'm interested, um, one will often hear Lack of innovation funds, also obstacles, and I'm thinking particularly of nonprofits now. Obstacles in using cash reserves, unrestricted in, uh, income, etc., are often being posed as a big constraint. Are there is that is that lack of innovation funding as big an issue as those voices make it out to be, or is it more about having access to flexible money that can be shifted around as New priorities or incubated projects show some promise. Need to go to the next decision gate and need to be getting a new infusion.
1: Hmm. Really good question. Um, to start with the innovation fund. So I'm I'm managing um, Unipiece Innovation Facility, which is this um, innovation fund, which is maybe the main vehicle through which we are supporting this type of change and innovation in UNDP. So through that innovation fund, we are supporting financially and with technical advice and and so on, different parts of UNDP, for instance, our colleagues in Serbia, to experiment with new ways of working and and so on. So so the funding we provide is is a bit more risk-willing capital, if you will, that is is explicitly specifically focused on, on, on helping you know, experiment with, with systems approaches and, and, and portfolios and, and so on. I think, to your point, I think one aspect of the challenge when it comes to funds and, and funding is, is resources. But I agree, which I think was sort of implicit in your question, that a lot of this is also to do not only with the money, but the funding arrangements around it having the flexibility to be able to shuffle things around uh, rethinking uh, accountability metrics for how do you report to whoever has given you uh, money if you are required to plan everything up front and find baseline and key performance indicators and you must report on these and yeah you know that doesn't give you a lot of flexibility to do things differently. No. So this is actually a different area of work for us where as part of helping UNDP make shift towards more holistic systems informed approaches, we are working on the question of funding. How do we help collectively people that work and organizations that work in international development, not least funders, rethink funding arrangements? Can we pool funding, different types of funding in some sort of more flexible systemic funding vehicle? Uh, What would that look like? How do we rethink accountability reporting uh, metrics uh, when it comes to funding can we make create a stronger focus on on learning rather than uh, accountability for delivering whatever you said you would deliver and mm. um, how do we build these types of things into uh, funding vehicles and, and funding arrangements I think is is really important.
0: That's that's interesting. And accountability focused on learning and learning that actually is shared then, right? So it's used by the organization and and, uh, because that's also from a knowledge management perspective often is is an obstacle. Yeah. Um, Let me mention, um, before we have to bring this to a close, let me mention a couple of other factors that have been mentioned to me by other innovation coaches. One is um, an over-reliance Uh, on in-house production of solutions versus simply buying things off the shelf. Now, I know you're not looking for single products or service. You're looking from a systems perspective to that portfolio for larger scale system level issues. But still, do you see that show up at all in UNDP or not?
1: I... Absolutely. I, I think it's something that is whether we call it innovation or anything else, I think people are just in general keen on, you know, doing having something that is their own. And we want to develop this. We are unique in all sorts of ways. Mm-hmm. And we need something that is very unique. And and often, you know, we might not necessarily need that. And, and you can get something that's sort of off the shelf or, or that's already, you know, you can build on things that are already yeah. there. And, and
0: so
1: yeah. and I think there's a different maybe a a different aspect of, of this issue as well around to what extent we think that we can develop solutions and know the solutions ourselves as just one organization that that works on some big complex issue that involves a lot of different actors and and we are definitely not the most influential ones in in shaping you know how certain countries uh, the development trajectories and and what have you so I think there's an aspect of thinking beyond us coming up with solutions towards how can we support and enable and work with others to collectively come up with ways of, of uh, tapping some of these things. Wherever, wherever
0: it originates in other words. Exactly,
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily solutions that we will own, but we are, you know, we're kind of working collectively in this wider ecosystem with other actors where we try to collectively yeah. come up with ways of, of tackling these things. Uh, it is not something that we will just do and we will just own and we alone will contribute to these big changes. That's not how the world works. It, it might be possible if it's a very confined, more simple uh, problem, but if it's some of these really big, really complex ones, you know, we're only going to play one sm- uh, small role in, in it and, and we definitely won't have all the solutions and, ourselves.
0: And so that then links back to contribution versus attribution and kind of holding back on an impetus to plant your flag, if you will, right? Exactly.
1: You see exactly. that in
0: the NGO world as well. It's a it's a very seductive things. Um, one more, and then I wanna move to another question and then bring it to an end. Um, I find NGOs, mm, particularly mid to large size ones, but not only quite process oriented and not that outcome oriented? I could imagine, and it's been a long time since I worked in, not in UNDP, but in another small part of the UN system. uh, um, But that that is also the case in, no matter how decentralized UNDP is, but that it could be quite process oriented um, and not outcome oriented. Is that an, an obstacle for pursuing innovation or not necessarily?
1: That is a good question. I would say some focus on process is definitely useful because I think a lot of aspects of how we need to innovate and do things differently is around the processes whereby we do business and and how we work. Um, However, this is all linked to outcomes. Like We're doing... We need to be focused on you know, achieving or supporting the type of changes that we that we want to support. And changes and processes are focused on helping us do that and helping others achieve the types of development objectives that, that they are aiming towards. So I think both are needed. I think one aspect of of the outcome orientation that that we and and many other organizations are grappling with is how do we know. How do we look at outcomes and not just look at like activity level uh, progress metrics and, and immediate outputs? How do we shift focus towards how this in the aggregate adds up to something that is that is bigger? Which means that when it comes to reporting and monitoring and evaluation, for instance, you need to shift from looking at individual interventions or efforts in isolation towards looking at how these in combination might be contributing to, to some sort of higher level change. Um, and you need to think about how you are part of a bigger story of change, like you said, look for contribution rather than attribution and recognise that the more outcome and impact focused you are, the more this is a story about how you are part of the bigger whole. It is not about you alone. And I mm. think that is a an important shift, um, the issue is that, but one of the many issues is that a lot of the accountability structures reporting how funding is structured and all of that is Mm -hmm. very focused on, we need to have some very tangible progress metrics and they need Mm -hmm. to be aggregatable. And ideally they need to be numbers that you can like add up. And that's definitely not helping. Um, But even with very flexible funding and, and so on, it is still very difficult for, for an organization to make that shift towards focusing on higher level.
0: Yeah, indeed, indeed. So one last thing that I'm confused by is um, sometimes I hear mixed messages about innovation in the following way. Some people say, you know, many innovations are really Tweaks on how we do things. Others say no no, innovation is about big breakthroughs. So as, as a lay person, oh, how should I understand that? Mm-hmm. Is it end-end? Is it that we like to think it's about big breakthroughs, but actually a lot of useful innovation comes from simply tweaking what we did before? I, I I'm confused. I
1: would say it's it's all of the above. I, I think different types of innovation are useful and needed, and it's not an either or. Uh, I think incremental day-to-day innovation, tweaking small things that help you as an organization uh, work better or save money or you know achieve your your results in a you know to a greater extent. Mm-hmm. Those are important and those are necessary. However, only focusing on very incremental immediate type of innovation might not necessarily help you overcome really big, complex problems or challenges that you are facing as an organization or challenges that you are trying to tackle as an organization. And I think yeah. having that shift on also looking at the macro strategic systems level is is something that is useful. And UNDP sh- uh, shift towards also having this uh, systemic focus means that we it's not like the organization is also doing the more day-to-day incremental type of innovation and using trying out new technologies and what what have you that is still happening Mm. but it is um, supplemented with also working with innovation in a different way that's much more focused on the strategic level the transformation
0: okay so it is all of the above as you said so now i'm curious what gives you soren the biggest source of satisfaction on a daily basis in your job?
1: I would say there are a few different aspects of it. On the more personal level, first of all, there's an opportunity to work with many different interesting people from around the world. Um, And that diversity and and different types of input really, you
0: know,
1: drives me intellectually.
0: Obvious, yeah.
1: And then there's an aspect of, even though it can be very frustrating and hard to see progress and, and at times depressing and, and what have you, I think still being focused on how can we tackle some of these really big challenges that the world is facing is something that, that, you know, gets me up in the morning. Um, those challenges are very difficult to tackle and you kind of have to kind of break things into smaller kind of milestones in a way that, okay, at least we managed to change this thing, which, you know, Plays one small role in in a bigger story of, of change, but I think having that focus on on the big impact and that is what we're working towards is something that that drives me
0: and motivates. That is motivating. Okay, yeah, uh, got it. Well, thank you so much, Soren. This has been. Uh, I've learned yet uh, more about innovations in what I like to call organizations as animals, <laughs> if you will. So where should people go if they want to know more about how you uh, do your craft? And uh, where should they go to find more about you?
1: People can go to my LinkedIn or my um, Twitter uh, to find more. I am regularly posting things about what we are up to. Um, okay. My team in UNP, we also have a, a uh, website. Uh, that has a lot more information about how we work, who we work with, and people can can also visit that.
0: Good at and and I'll ask you to send it to me. And you also mentioned in the beginning a blog on Medium where you yes try, right.
1: So on Medium we are in general we try to do what we call learn out loud mm-hmm. through the process. So immediate sort of you know what we're learning in while we're still in it telling the stories, not only about what is working well, but but the challenges we are facing and and so on and sharing that with others. So we had a Medium um, blog where there's a steady stream of of, um, pieces that, that describe what we do.
0: Excellent. We are going to link to all of what you just said so that our listeners have access to that. Well, thank you so much, Soren, once again, for all your insights. Thank you for teaching me and teaching our audience. And thank you, listeners. If you found this podcast uh, stimulating, then be sure to check out the other episodes in my podcast where you will find several other episodes that are focused on innovation, uh, interviews with innovation coaches, managers, and leaders in INGOs and in public organizations. Um, And you can find many of those, not just on my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org with the number five, but also on my YouTube channel subscribe to my email list and you'll always be the first to know what is being dropped next. So this is Tosca and I look forward to spending time with you on NGO soul and strategy. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you valued the content, Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, so that other leaders of social change organizations can find it too. And if you want to learn more, have a look at my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org, where you will find blog posts, recordings of interviews with me, as well as information about my co-authored book, Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs. If you sign up for my email list, you will receive a free sneak peek at the book or feel free to email me at Tosca at FiveOaksConsulting.org or contact me through my website and follow me on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Till we talk again at NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye.